This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Stitches get snitches. Damn it, wrong way around. <laughs> Swing and a miss. another episode of the game time podcast bit of a different one this week it's sort of a mixed bag of european goings on alan tom and ryan are somewhere hopefully they can all hear us guys how you doing (laughs) hello mate how are you i'm good thanks i'm good tom how you doing i'm good thank you how are you guys good good yeah no we're exhausted after our long trip from the lost city of atlantis from where we tried to record the first bit but yeah all good a tetchy, tetchy start to this podcast. Much like a lot of the opposition towards Wayne Rooney getting called up to the latest England squad. We're going to kick it off with that, I think, because it's quite controversial, no? No. No? no. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fair enough. Like, um, They've got they've got like his charity involved, which I think is a good thing. Um, it's a meaningless game anyway, so if he's going to get involved, I'd rather him do that than like in an actual... F- um, not that they probably Southgate would ever pick him for a competitive game, but I'd rather him be playing this game than a sort of game that matters. And like I say, it's just like a bit of a fun and also means that um, Kane won't have to play, which means he gets a nice rest before the Croatia game. I think it's just all round, like it's just a decent, decent thing. I don't know why people... I, I can't see why people are kicking off so much. I, I don't know about... Uh, Tom and Alan but I think people are kicking off so much because they could so easily have made it a testimonial rather than a full friendly where people get caps for it I think that might be the the sticking point for some people no I think the thing is I mean it was all it was an existing friendly wasn't it the game against USA for one um I think it's a bit of a marriage of convenience seeing as Wayne Rooney's over there playing at the moment there were, I think the main opposition to it was that it devalues that England cap I mean, what is Rooney on now? 119? And that this will take him up to 120. Which is it's significant in itself. And I think I think it was Shearer and Banks both came out criticising it just on the basis that, you know, there's a lot of England players that would kill for a cap. And he's essentially being gifted one. Or, or that was the terminology they used. But I, I, I agree with you two boys. I, I don't particularly mind it. And then th- there's an argument to say he deserves it in his own right. He has dragged a club up from, I think they were bottom bottom two or something. There's no relegation in the MLS, obviously. But uh, but no, he's dragged them from that position into the playoffs. I know they, they just got knocked out the other day, but it's still an impressive jump. And and he's he's played pretty well along the way and he's pitched him with a few goals. And like I said, the, the quality is not quite as, well, not nearly as good as the Premier League, but he has been playing well. I, I was only going to make a passing comment of the fact that if uh, Giovinco can't get back into the Italy team with the way he played in MLS, then Rooney definitely doesn't deserve to be in an England team that I think is playing very, very well at the moment. But yeah, I, I don't have any major qualms with it. Maybe they could have just made it a testimonial. That would have been fine. People wouldn't have got on his back as much. But he's he's done enough for England and English football that really does one 
gifted cap really means so much in the grand scheme of things. I don't think so. Tom, you haven't chipped in on this. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I think... So I think it's probably worth noting that when it was initially announced, it came out earlier than it was supposed to. So I think it was leaked by the Sun on last Sunday, but it was actually supposed to be announced on Tuesday. Uh, and at the time, there was a bit of uh, anger and anguish about um, maybe he was going to be taking up a space for someone else in the squad. But actually, over the last couple of days, it's trickled out that he's going to be a sub. He's not going to be. He's obviously not going to be captain. He's not going to wear the number ten. Um, and Gareth Southgate's today named a 28-man squad rather than the traditional 23. So he hasn't taken anyone's place. Uh, I agree with both of them. I think uh, Ryan and Alan make the, the points. He's, he deserves maybe a final send-off like Holland did with Schneider and Germany did with Podolski. I think he deserves that final send-off um, and in a friendly game against the USA. I think that's great. The, the only other thing I'd say about... You mentioned the testimonial. I agree with you. I think that probably would have been a better setting and the reason for that is the FA aren't giving any money for ticket sales or making any donation to Rooney's charity. Um, it's all being done by sort of sponsorship on the day from corporate sponsors or, or rich people in boxes. And I think it probably would have been nicer if the FA had contributed a percentage of ticket sales to, to Rooney's charity. Uh, but aside from that, the only other thing about the MLS, as I'd say, if we're talking about people in the MLS earning a place in merit, then Bradley Wright Phillips should have been in there for the last 10 years or something like that, isn't he? So. That's valid. Yeah, yeah. That is true. Um, it is a bit cynical for them to pitch it as a charity game and then give none of the match day revenue to uh, to charity themselves. Because they're, they're selling this big on Wayne Rooney. And, you know, essentially they're going to pocket all this money. I don't know. Um, yeah, it is It is a bit cynical. It's similar to a, a rugby game. I don't want to go too much into rugby, but it, it was a charity for a, a person called Doddy Weir, and they pitched it as a Doddy Weir Foundation, but none of the money from the game went to charity, and it's it, they were only relying on bucket sales on the day. And it's yeah, it's a bit bit cynical, but ah, you know, he's in the squad now, and that's all that matters. And most likely, he will play some part, probably coming off the bench in the second half. I'd imagine. A couple of names that are in there. Jaden Sancho continuing his good form for Borussia Dortmund got in there. Callum Wilson. Now, Tom, I know you're probably a man who's got a lot of opinions on this. How good does it feel to actually see Callum Wilson in the England squad? It's, it's really great. I think it's, um, it's important that you can reward players who are in form. I think there's a couple of players. I mean, Glenn Murray's definitely one of them who probably feels a bit aggrieved that he isn't in that selection. But I think maybe with the injury to Danny Welbeck, he may get a call up as well. Um, but I'm, I'm ecstatic for Callum Wilson. He's had two really bad injuries in his career that have sort of been since we've, since we've been in the Premier League. So to be called up to the England team and um, I think he probably will have a chance to play against uh, the USA, I imagine. And then they'll probably rest Kane um, to play against Croatia. But um, it's great. It shows that meritocracy works in some form in football. And uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of other players in there. Harry Winks, uh, Ross Barkley, who's definitely had a bit of a turnaround in his career at Chelsea so far this season, all who deserve to be in that squad. If you talk about Glenn Murray, I think he would feel a bit aggrieved to not be in the England squad if he didn't almost qualify for a bus pass. <laughs> I'm not sure at 35 years old, he's, he's probably... Mm, is, is he left that dream behind slightly, Danny? Does it matter that he's 35? Can you ignore someone who consistently scores goals? I'm just saying, at the Euros, you're in a hard sort of final group stage game. Who do you want to bring off the bench? 35-year-old Glenn Murray, who's an absolute fox in the box and will find you a goal somehow. Or a 
a youth player who's had maybe a very good season and is more of a potential for the future. But true, but I, I think he retired uh, Jamie Vardy. I Forced, don't care. Yeah. He, I, I, you say uh, Jamie Vardy retired, but I'm pretty sure you know um, Southgate called him up and told him it wasn't in the squad anymore. And that's got a, probably got a lot to do with his age. Yeah. At the end of the day, he seems like he's got a plan for the future and he's done very well at the World Cup and will continue. I think you've mentioned his limitations as a coach may be the reason why he doesn't go too far in the future, but for now he seems to be doing everything right. Going back to you said about Callum Wilson, we were talking about this, and and the thing you said about um, Glenn Murray, the idea that you wouldn't pick him is obviously not what I agree with because I've always said about you need to pick an England team on or England squad on form but what, what with there being no international tournament next summer I don't really see the point in picking at the minute probably I don't see the point in picking Glenn Murray because yes he's having a good start to the season there's no doubt about that but if this is just one him having a good season and then he gets picked for the next year but then just his form falls off the face of a cliff when he's like 30, he'll be 36 by the time the next Euros comes along. I don't really see the point in him being picked now, if you know what I mean. Like, how is it going to benefit the team long term? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any argument that Glenn Murray being picked would be a bad long term investment just because he is 35 years old. But And I guess I'm speaking in hypotheticals, but he's had a good start to the season. He scored goals in a Brighton team that have struggled and don't have a wealth of talent. So just think about what he can do in a team that do create chances for him. I, I've been a big fan of giving players on form a chance. I shouted about Grant Holt at some point when Grant Holt was doing it for Norwich in the Premier League and he didn't get his call up. So maybe I just like big men in the Premier League that don't get a call up to England. <laughs> uh, no, I do I do agree with you. I'm just saying like, for the from if if you're putting yourself like you say you're saying about hypotheticals, but if you're putting yourself in the shoes of Gareth Southgate, you've got this guy who yeah, no doubtly he's started the season well, but like I say, his the age isn't on his age isn't on his side, and like I say, if he if he ends up sort of this being the high point of his whole season, and you pick him now, then I don't know, it seems a bit of a waste in my opinion. I'd rather get someone in like Wilson who is younger and has more potential longevity in a in an England shirt. I don't know, it's like I say, it's probably just me being a bit argumentative maybe, but um, I just see I just see it as a better choice really. Right I'd rather if it was the choice between Wilson and Murray, which it seemed to be, um when Southgate was picking the squad, uh, notwithstanding the thing about Danny Welbeck, um, I think he's made the right choice. Yeah. To be honest I don't I wouldn't argue with that on that point. If if you put it up as a you can have Glenn Murray or you can have Callum Wilson. You choose Callum Wilson every day of the week. And I think he's probably just got more to his game at an international level that would suit. I think what it comes down to, though, is Gareth Southgate is looking to the future. And too much in the, pr- the past, we've been into short-termism with England. You think about like giving Kevin Davis or Ricky Lambert a cap when they're 33 or something. They're clearly not going to offer something for the next four years. There's some sort of romantic view that they've been grafting in the in the leagues for so long that they've earned their cap. You know, there's plenty of players that have been working in the Premier League or Championship for a long time. Um, I don't think we should take a romantic view of it. You just pick the players that are going to be useful to England in two years' time and blood them now. Right, so ending the England squad 
debacle. And on to some English sides in the Champions League. As I mentioned, it's a very mixed pod this week with European influences. And I guess we've got complete two ends of the spectrum here. Red Star versus Liverpool, a very, very surprising result. And to be honest, Manchester United versus Juventus, in its own right, a surprising result. But one ended well for an English side and one ended very badly. Let's start with the Red Star-Liverpool game. What do you think went wrong for, for Liverpool? It was that like seven-minute spell when um, Red Star scored twice. It was it was really weird like watching it. Like They scored sort of two goals um, relatively out of nothing. The second one was an absolute screamer. But um, it was really weird like watching it. I sort of watched the first half um, whilst it, I was sort of got in, because it was the early game, so I was sort of like, after I got in from work, I was sort of just watching it, and I realised they went 2-0 down, and obviously I like, saw both goals, and I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. But I always expected Liverpool to come back. It was one of those things, it was like really like, oh yeah, they'll get one goal before half-time, and then probably they'll get like a dodgy penalty, and then they'll probably get a winner in the second half. But like at no point did they look sort of comfortable enough to be um, sort of sustaining pressure. It was really bizarre. Like I say, you've got like Salah hit the outside of the post and then I think um, someone hit the bar with a header. Everything they dealt with, Red Star, they dealt with it really, really quite well. And it was, it, like I say, it was for a team that's not been in the Champions League since the Champions League was has been a thing, like this is their debut season, Red Star. Um, yeah, it was a really sort of like composed performance, but Liverpool were miles off where they where they should be. And I feel like this isn't, again, maybe getting at Liverpool a little bit, but I feel like it's not been taught enough how their their current form at the minute. Like the the only three teams they've beaten in the last I believe eight or nine games has been Huddersfield, Cardiff and then Red Star when they played at Anfield. And I feel like if that was any other team in England they'd be getting a bit of a rough ride and saying like oh they're out of form and all other players not gelling. But even this week, like the the Red Star game seems to have been like written off as a one off mistake. And it's like, well, if you look at their current form, they're not exactly pulling up trees. Might show as well that what they've got going on off the bench might be Liverpool's limiting factor. I mean, look at some of the players they brought in, like Lalana. Sturridge got a chance, didn't he? And he was was he hooked off at half time, wasn't he? Because he wasn't, minutes. yeah, wasn't performing particularly well. Matip was playing that game, and well, the rest of the team were pretty much, you know, Liverpool first team players. But I, I wonder once you get, you know, once you break up that front three, whether they're quite as fluid, and you know, it clicks so well. But like you said, it's it's not been the best eight or nine games. Having said that, they've played, you know, Chelsea twice and Arsenal once. But they, yeah, you're right. They should have picked up maybe some more wins in the meantime. Um, but yeah, I mean, great for Red Star though. Yeah, and Ryan mentioned that it's their debut season since the current format of the Champions League has been about, and that's Ser- that's a Serbian side's first ever win in any Champions League group stage. So I, I was speaking to a Liverpool fan yesterday who said that they felt that this that type of result was coming, um, where they, they may have got a little bit lucky in recent in recent games and, and then maybe their their actual overall performance in the league has is maybe hiding some underperformances that they uh, have shown throughout the season so far. It, I mean, it, they're in a position in that group where you would definitely would have expected them to win that game. So it does put pressure on them in the last couple of matches against PSG and Napoli to to uh, to be at least one of those teams to ensure they qualify. But yeah, the, the only other thing about Red Star is Red Star, obviously they had this amazing tunnel um, that leads out onto the pitch. And it's, it's truly, um, I mean, in terms of modern football, it's, it's, it's a real relic. 
But the one thing I, I, I noted, someone mentioned during the game, I think, was that they, their average capacity for a game is 6,000 fans, which I think is crazy considering how much of a, how much of a big part of the atmosphere was, atmosphere was when they played against Liverpool. Um, but it's just, obviously, they turn out for the big European nights that happen every, what, 25 years. Yeah, no, that's a testament to those fans. Fair play to them for, for turning out in force, for... I mean, arguably, yes, there are three amazing teams in that group, so you'd want to see that. But fair play to them for, for coming out in force where so easily that team could be horribly on the end of an absolute battering by all three of those teams. And fair play to them for creating an atmosphere in a Champions League stadium that, that means that they can beat the likes of Liverpool. So looking at the other English game in the Champions League this week, Manchester United beat Juventus by two goals to one. Let's move this over to Ryan. Ryan, do you think that's a surprise result considering Juventus hadn't conceded a goal in the Champions League at this point and were cruising and still are cruising Serie A and Manchester United have had their troubles? Yeah, yeah. on reflection from um, what happened on Wednesday, Juventus are going to do absolutely fuck all in the Champions League this year. They... they I don't know. They, there's, something, there's, something about, there's something about them. Um, that, that sort of... The game we played against them last year. I know they had Ronaldo, they didn't have Ronaldo last year, but I think we should have. We should. We still should have got past them in the when we played them in the knockout stages. They had like a, they played well for about half an hour over the two legs and beat us. And then you have like the United game the other week. They they won one nil at Old Trafford, but looked very. I don't know. They they didn't look they didn't look comfortable being so dominant. And uh, obviously, like I said, after they went one nil up against United, they sort of took their half the ball and. Um, I don't know. I think I think like I say they they're not gonna they've 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 sort of gambled on on getting Ronaldo in and trying to win the Champions League. I don't think it's going to happen for them because like I say, no disrespect to Man United, even though they are sort of like the the second well on paper last year, the second best team in England. They didn't look, they looked far from it the other, um, last night, and Juventus still couldn't put them away. So it's a very it's a very weird one, but. Um, a couple of well, a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Like I say, first of all, obviously the um, the fact that United are technically United, uh, England's second best team at the moment, and the way that the commentators were going on when they were wasting time, they were like, "Oh, this is a really good policy from Man United. Well done, everyone's wasting time." It's like it's like they were like Macclesfield and they'd gone to the FA Cup for like a replay against Juventus. It's like no, this is a team that is pretty good. Like it was it was a very weird tone that the commentators were taking, and then for Martin Keown to come out and said it was United's best result ever in Europe and it's like it's not even their best result ever against Juventus let alone the best result against like other teams like for the whole of the European uh, time they've been in Europe it was really bizarre like the, the sort of people going on about it being like a turning point for the whole thing it's like it was a good result but like no United aren't that bad a team and Juventus aren't that good a team in my opinion so yeah it was a good like I say good good on them for for winning but some of the reactions have been very weird but no, it was a very strange reaction, wasn't it? Man, you sort of nicking a win off Juventus. And I, yeah, I did pick up on that Martin Keown comment as well. I mean, I wouldn't negate anything he says because, I mean, he appears to have the football knowledge of a ferret. But <laughs> it was a bit weird from Juventus because we all know how Man you play. They like to sort of sit back and let the other team have, you know, the majority share of possession. But Juventus weren't necessarily playing their way through or being very clever with it. The amount of long shots that De Gea had, a huge amount, he was he was being peppered a fair amount, but 
but th- that's a reflection on the fact they were shooting from 30 yards. They weren't particularly clever on how they were trying to sort of work their way through the United uh, defence at all. Um, but having said that, it, it's just odd to think of a Man U being happy with over over two games now, having limited possession and nicking one result and getting sort of dominated in the other. I mean, both sides weren't particularly impressive. And I get what you mean about Juventus not not being the team everyone's maybe rating them for. And I, and, and again, like you said about the Tottenham result, they, they weren't the better team for a lot of that. And I'm, I'm not sure once they come up against the Man City or even of Real Madrid or Barcelona's, I think they might struggle. I feel maybe, and, and this isn't my Italian bias coming out, I think maybe we're being a little harsh on Juventus. They've made the Champions League final twice in recent years. Yes, they lost to Barcelona and Real Madrid respectively, but that was against a very good Barcelona team that edged them out 3-1 with like a 90th minute goal padding the scoreline and against a Real Madrid team that were just unstoppable in the Champions League for three straight years. Not to be disrespectful to anyone's opinion, but they dominated Manchester United last night for large periods of the game. They hit the post once, they hit the bar once. If those go an inch either way, that's a 3-0 scoreline and United don't come back from it. Having said that, the biggest mistake that happened in that game was Allegri's substitutions. He brought on Barzagli when he really probably shouldn't have and Manchester United brought on Fellaini and he instantly made an impact. He was kind of contributing to the the second goal just being in the box because players had to mark him, which forced the Bonucci own goal. And then Mata came up with a moment of brilliance to equalise before that. So I think I think we may be being slightly harsh on Juventus, who, yes, granted, I agree with you, in the Tottenham game last year, they were not the best team for large portions of those two legs. But this is by no means a team who are just knocking the ball around side to side. They created a lot of chances De Gea on numerous occasions had to save Manchester United and I think Juventus probably would feel a tad unlucky that they came out of that losing by 2-1 despite the fact they were leading that game for 87 minutes. So Juventus maybe lack a killer edge, yes, but hitting the woodwork twice and then De Gea just being De Gea probably stopped them from being very comfortable in that game. The, the, problem, I, the problem I have with it is the fact that Again, this is, again, obviously you said like you try not to get your Italian head on. I'm trying not to get my anti-Italian head on because I have some, I don't know, I, I feel like the the level of football in Serie A is of quite a poor quality and we'll probably talk about this in future weeks. Um, but I feel like the, like the the problem I have, not well, it's not an issue I have with Juventus because I don't really, it don't really bother me either way. But like, the thing is, they don't seem, like you said, obviously we may, you may be sort of being a bit harsh on them, but they don't seem... To be to have that like winning or like cutting edge in Europe, and yes, they've got to a couple of finals, but they never looked like they were going to win those finals at any point. And yes, they came across like the treble winning Barca side, and they came across the um, Real Madrid side that were going for three Champions Leagues in a row. But like the problem I have with them is, like I said, they're they're banking. Obviously, they dominate Serie A every year. Like apart from you have like a Napoli or or an Inter Milan who will come and challenge them once every now and then, but they are pretty dominant in Serie A, which is the the fault of the league, I think, as well as the fault of um, sort of like just generally sort of like how the football is played. But 
they're they're gambling. The whole point of when they sign Ronaldo, they're gambling on European success. They're thinking, okay, Ronaldo's a serial winner. He's won so many Ballon d'Ors. He's dragged Real Madrid through to finals before on his own, basically. We want a bit of that action. But even with Ronaldo, they still look like Juventus in Europe, which is, yes, they might have a couple of good results every now and then. They'll get to a final. But they never look like winning. When was the last time they looked like winning the Champions League? probably about 15 years ago, 20 years ago maybe, when they got to that final with AC Milan and then they lost on penalties. Like, both finals have been massively outplayed. The rest of the time they get outplayed before they even get to the final. It's just like, I don't understand. They seem to have just hit a glass ceiling in, in Serie A. They win Serie A every year, but they're not good enough to properly challenge in the Champions League. And it's a bit weird. Like, the whole point, like you say, they, they went one nil up against United and they were like, oh, okay, we'll just, we'll just keep this at 1-0 rather than going, I know... I know it sort of comes on sort of like um, fine margins and that. But like they brought on a defender, like you said, when they were 1-0 up. And you think like, should you be doing that? Maybe in a group stage game? They're Italian, of course they'll do that. In a group stage game though, like go get the second goal, then do then do the defensive substitute. It just, it smacks of uh, non-ambition in, in my eyes. How good was the Ronaldo goal though? Without breaking his stride as well. Technique was unbelievable. How good was it in a losing cause? Yes, it was fantastic. Oh, all right. <laughs> There's obviously some deep felt issues going on here, but uh... no, it was it was a it was a very good goal. But like I say, it's just it's just the way they just the way they equipped themselves after the goal goes in. I, I just think it was a bit weird. Um, but yeah, like I said, very good goal. Took it really well. But then, like I say, you expect nothing less from Ronaldo, don't you? Unbelievable goal from Cristiano Ronaldo and shows what he can do. At any moment of any game. Right after the break, we're going to move on to the Manchester derby because that's coming up this weekend. And a little bit of misdoing or wrongdoings from Manchester City, as well as some talking points to finish off the pod. That's it! He's got the chance! He has done it! He is all over! If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Welcome back to the Game Time Podcast. Thank you very much for sticking around with us. Uh, We're going to move on to the Manchester Derby now. Um, Well, we were previously speaking about uh, United's result at Juventus, but does this have any bearing on the City Derby? Uh, Tom and Ryan, what do you think? Uh, are City going to be worried about United's result there? It's strange because um, when United played City last season at the Etihad, I think they were very very much the underdogs. Um, and it was such a surprise result and no one saw it coming. Whereas this season, I think that United, even though they haven't been playing great in the last few games, they've been able to get results. I think, they, like we've discussed, they had a good performance against Juventus and it's very impressive to win in Turin. And I think all of this leads to the fact that they're probably going to get absolutely smashed by Man City at the weekend. I think, I think um, the City's result against uh, Shakhtar was one of complete dominance. I think they're playing probably as well as any team, even among the unbeaten teams in the Premier League. I think they're still very, very impressive this year. Um, and I, I think they're just going to prove too much. And I also think there may be a part of their performance on, on Saturday they're looking to or Saturday or Sunday, whatever the game is, they're looking to prove a point. And I think that might be a significant uh, cause of of effect in in how they play against players like Paul Pogba, because he's had 
a couple of halves this season that he's been very impressive and probably at his best. But they need him to performing for the full 90 minutes. And I think that is an area that City can attack because he does make mistakes. Uh, what do you think, Danny? I mean, obviously, being a United fan, how, how do you anticipate uh, United shaping up, but also how uh, City are going to take on the new le- second-half threat that United pose? I wouldn't be too surprised if he lines up very similarly or exactly the same as the Juventus game in midweek, to be honest. I think they play very similar styles of football. Manchester City are just better at it. But I can see that Mourinho probably is saying is going to say to his players, look, there are going to be very few chances where we do nick the ball from them. If we do get that chance, we need the likes of Martial, Sanchez and whoever else is playing on the other wing to break and break quickly because you're not going to get too many chances against City. And especially with the likes of, I don't know, Paul Pogba, as you mentioned, he seems to have on-off games, but they come too regularly. And I feel like in a a City midfield where they will press him non-stop, there has to be a Paul Pogba that is going to move the ball quickly and create chances rather than a Paul Pogba that we saw against Everton where he's trying little flicks in midfield. Because if he does that against City, you're damn straight that City will punish him. I mean, could we see Mourinho coming out to try and spoil the party? I mean, we've seen that midfield, which is sort of packed with more physical players. Um, Could someone maybe like Fellaini play a big role in this game? Um, We've seen him sort of utilised by Mourinho to break up the type of play that City are going to try to utilise during this game. I mean, Ryan, what do you think? Do you think Man, you pose any threat in this game or is it going to be a walkover? I, no, I do. I do think it's, it's going to be an absolute turkey shoot. Personally, I think City are going to City are just going to wipe the floor with them. Um, yeah, like I say, even no matter how good the result was against Juventus, as we discussed earlier, it's, it's just one of those things. I think they're just mile, they're just miles behind United. They're miles behind what City are doing in terms of football and just in terms of like the the confidence in the team as well. Like I say, the, the, obviously we didn't talk about sort of like the, we talked about the Liverpool and United games, we didn't talk about the Spurs or the City games, but like I say, you mentioned earlier, coming, coming back from a 6-0 win, it's going to be, put a load of confidence through you really. So, can't see anything but a City win. I'm probably going to say about 4-0, I reckon. I think they're just going to see, they also just got white floor though, I think. One thing they are starting to show a bit of is resilience and a sort of doggedness to the end. I mean, you saw it in the Newcastle result, uh, Bournemouth at the weekend and, and the Juventus result. There is that almost spirit of Ferguson where they're, they may not be in games, but they're certainly not giving up to the final whistle. And that could, you know, if, if they're still in it uh, 70, 80 minutes, I wouldn't back against, you know, Mourinho spoiling the party in that regard because I think they possibly, you know, the longer City, well, the longer they stay in the game with City, you know, that you could see it, well, maybe something happening. But I do get your point, um, City are going to come out all guns blazing from the start because there's only one way Pep Guardiola knows how to do it. And, uh, well, it, it could be over very quickly. Who knows? The thing is, as well, with um, the thing that I think is a bit underrated is the fact that the City players are going to be so up for making amends from last year, the 3-2 game. That game, like when, obviously, they could have won the title outright against their nearest neighbours... And they were tuning up at half time, and they ended up losing three two. Even though City on obviously went on to get a hundred points, 
that would have been for Guardiola and the players. They would have been super pissed off about that. And I think there's going to be, like I say, a backlash as a result on um, on Sunday. One thing that I wanted to say was, obviously, Alan mentioned that if United are still in it, if United are still 1-0 down with 15 minutes to play, I think that's where you see the likes of Fellaini. Mm. He, he doesn't seem to do as well when he starts, but coming off the bench when other players are tired and United have already gone into that let's lump balls into the box mode, I think he works. Will it work against City? I don't know. Vincent Company, Otamendi and co are very, very good centre-backs, but anything can happen when you've got Marouane Fellaini coming on for the last 10 minutes at it shakes you up a little bit. So I probably don't agree with you guys in that it will be a, a straight 4-0, nice, easy City walkover. I can see United maybe nicking a goal, but yeah, likewise, I think City will come out winners on this. Tom, seeing as you're the only one left who hasn't uh, chipped in with a score prediction, what do you think? I think it'll probably, I'm going to go 3-0. I think, I, I think it'll be quite comfortable. Um, I think the only way this game maybe has a different perspective is if United score first. Um, I I think there is there's one factor which they haven't used recently, and that's Lukaku. I don't know whether it's an injury or whether it's Mourinho dropping him, but I think I don't think Stones plays particularly well against the bigger, stronger players. Whereas I think he's very, he's very good at dealing with quick players um, because his positioning is very good. Uh, so maybe if they could utilize Lukaku, maybe that's a weakness and. Um, Pogba's going to have to have an outstanding game for them to have any chance, I think. Well, if he does what he did in the second half of the Etihad game last season, there's always a chance when he's on form, he's one of the best midfielders. Whilst we're talking about the Manchester derby, and this is the extracurricular things that I was talking about, do you think what's come out in the news over the last few days will have any impact on the match? Tom, I know you're quite... You've read up quite a bit about this, but the whole Manchester City image rights scandals, topping up sponsorship deals, do you think that's gonna gonna bear any impact on the game? I think the 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 relation to the players is probably pretty limited. I don't think they care. I think as long as they keep getting paid and they keep winning, they probably don't care. I think the wider football community needs to be a lot more concerned about the stuff that De Spiegel is um has been reporting on over the last sort of week or week or two. There's a lot of things. I mean, we can if we just briefly go through them. Um, you mentioned the sports image rights. So that was a there was twenty four million pounds paid to City to a company called Fordham Sports Image Rights Limited, um, and but despite the fact that City kept using the image rights, it's also worth noting that the the owners of Man City actually own Fordham Sports Image Rights as well. So there's obviously a conflict of interest there. Um, Pep signed a contract uh, to to manage Ma- uh, Man City four months before it was actually announced, and that was actually whilst Pellegrini was still in charge at the beginning of the season. So there may be a case for wrongful dismissal there for Pellegrini. Um, and it'll be interesting how that plays out because that obviously wasn't something that was made public. Uh, lots of the top-ups of sponsorship deals to avoid FIFA Fair Play regulations, um, whether it's that some of the sponsors from Abu Dhabi coming through and then uh, Sheikh Mansour topping that up with a little bit more so that they can add that to the transfer revenue they're allowed to spend. Obviously, they've had some pretty poor sponsorship deals with the company, companies like Arab Tech, who have a, a notorious human rights abuse claims against them. And this is something that City have acknowledged in the past, but still have gone ahead with deals. But I think in terms of the wider community of football, everybody, it's almost like it was unspoken, but people knew about it. This isn't 
particularly a surprise to anyone, I think, in the football community. It was people were aware that these allegations were being thrown around, but also that it was expected that these big clubs are doing it. I think in a week that there's been a lot of discussions about the European Super League as well, it's really important to understand that this is a very limited select of elite clubs who are doing this type of business. Um, and it just shows that it isn't, an, it isn't a level playing field. And even across the top elite clubs across Europe, so that's, you, you would imagine that PSG follow into the, fall into this category as well. It needs to be addressed. And it, it, it means the game isn't fair. Pep came out and said that he doesn't think it's fair that his team are, uh, are judged as being bought and they've bought their successes. But this Man City club and this Man City team is totally different to the Man City team of 15 years ago, the team that was getting promoted from the Championship. And I think there needs to be a responsibility with the fans. The fans of Man City who have joined after the successes, maybe it's different, but the, team, the fans that have been there since they were before, since before they were wealthy and, and successful, they need to take a stance really about are they supporting the actions of their owners and are they supporting the actions of the club? And at what point in time does it become too far removed from the club that they've started supporting at the beginning of their footballing lives? In a way then, what is the point of financial fair play? Almost like you know how a lot of Olympic athletes have been accused of drug cheating and people say, why not, let's just have a druggy Olympics. Why don't we just say, screw financial fair play, it doesn't matter, just sell your club to the most amount of money that you can get for it and just go absolutely ham in pounding hundreds of millions of pounds into a transfer market and, and sponsorship fee. Well, what is FIFA fair play or these financial fair play regulations if clubs are so easily getting around it like Manchester City and whoever else have? I think the trouble is, and a prime example of when financial fair play works, because at the moment AC Milan are being, you know, perhaps fairly prosecuted, well, um, prosecuted, that's probably not the right word, but they're being restricted by financial fair play and they were almost kicked out of the Europa League if not for a, uh, a court hearing which allowed them to compete. I, I think the thing is, teams like City, teams like PSG will look upon that and think, right, if if that's the establishment that's in place, we're going to have to bend the rules to, to play it with the big boys because that's you know the, almost the basis of what financial play, player is in the long term. It's preventing smaller clubs from having significant investment and you know basically jumping jumping a few rungs up the ladder. Do you think that Premier League clubs or Major League clubs, are they favoured slightly more when you look at Ruben Kazan, for example, who failed their financial fair play by £8 million, which in the grand scheme of things is a very small sum of money in football, and have been kicked out from all European competitions, and as we speak, have not had the reprieve that AC Milan got uh, is it mainly because they're a smaller club that quite frankly FIFA UEFA don't actually care about them I think there's definitely a case for the fact that City are probably a more um, impactful team in the Champions League I think there is an accusation from De Spiegel that Infantino knew about this as well um, so if that's the case then they are obviously getting an assistant, assisting hand from FIFA um, but the 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 significant thing as well that's going on, which I think it 
maybe has been slightly missed with this and maybe people focus on the FFP rules is the, the payments to players and to managers. So, for example, Mancini was being paid a salary by Man City whilst he was there, but he was also being paid a salary by Al Jazeera to be a consultant at the same time. And that's just their way of saying, look, we're going to pay you twice as much, but you just won't have to declare most of it in the UK. And it's those type of things that when you start to get, to get that systematically involved with football, then football is just is corrupt and, and it, it needs to be amended because you can't, you can't do that in most other professions in the UK. And football definitely shouldn't have a, a special place uh, above all those other jobs. Agreed. I, I think the difficulty... With it is, I don't know about you guys, but I swear when we were younger, transfer fees were just said. Like it just went so and so moved to so and so for twenty five million. I swear ninety percent of transfers now are all undisclosed, and and you never see a transfer fee, and I feel like that adds to the. And I don't want to throw Big Sam in it because we haven't mentioned Big Sam. Whoa! But, but the likes of the likes of Big Sam getting caught out in that sting talking about player bungs. The likes of Harry Redknapp filing his dog's name as part of his uh, offshore accounts. I feel like if there was more transparency in football, where they just went, this happened, this is how much money it's for, here's everything, there you go, it would be fine. So I think I'm, I'm with Tom. The wider football community needs to do something here, because otherwise the rich are just going to get richer and, and the rest of the teams are going to stay where they are. Which, to be honest brings us quite nicely onto talking points. As always, we finished the episode with some talking points. I wanted to mention one, the European Super League. Yes, no, do we think it's a good idea? Do we think it's a bad idea? Ryan, kick us off. Fucking terrible idea. Really, really stupid. Just <laughs> very, very stupid as a concept. Um, I'm glad that FIFA has sort of, well, they've sort of come out and said that any, t- any player that plays in it will be banned from international football. The fact that it's even being discussed is just ridiculous. I feel I feel like we're we're wasting productive time talking about it because it's so ridiculous. That's that's my opinion on it. It's just like it's why why would you sign it up? Why would you sign yourself up to that? I mean, it's it's not an appealing prospect. There'll be very little um, very little competition in it. I think, especially with like say no relegation after twenty years. If you're a member, you you don't have to get relegated after twenty. Um, you've got like a twenty year reprieve. Like I just, I just don't see the point of it personally. It's just ridiculous. I I don't agree with it. Uh, I think it's yeah. It takes away so much from. I'm I'm personally very happy with how the Premier League is as a league at the moment. Aside from all this stuff with Man City, I think um it's a it's a really enjoyable league to watch. And I mean, only a few years ago we saw Leicester win it. I mean that it is still exciting every week, and anyone can beat anyone. That's great. I think it's probably worth noting that Europe isn't pushing this. I imagine that it's being done because they want to reach out to global markets, whether that's Asia or the Americas, um, who I think would be more interested in watching a best of the best league rather than watching Newcastle versus Bournemouth. Um, so that's that's probably why it's come about. And I know last weekend when they tested out the Spurs game at 7.45, there definitely is a push in the European markets to start exploring the value of those types of games. Um but I I think it's an awful idea. I think if if anyone if any of the Premier League clubs had signed up to it and indicated they they would they were pro this, um, I think they should be severely punished because I I think it's an awful idea. Yeah, I think you know it is good that FIFA came out and said they're going to ban players. Um, it's hard to be not to be cynical about that because basically they're trying to protect their own assets because they're worried they're going to lose money on this. But 
I I I I hope it does go ahead. Quite frankly, for the primary reason, I'm bored of hearing about it, and I I can tell it's going to tank after two years. Then we can go back to normal and stop bitching and moaning about this European Super League because it cannot be a good idea. And I think two of the clubs that are, I believe, trying to push for it primarily at the moment are Bayern Munich and Juventus. You say it's mostly from outside Europe, which is valid, but if there are teams that do want it, I think it is Juventus and Bayern Munich because they are dominating to such an extent and they just don't get the, the revenue, do they? they? I think there's all this stuff about them looking at the Premier League and thinking well, what a product it is, the Premier League, and it's just not the same. I don't think Bayern Munich get as much TV revenue as, you know, Aston Villa at this point, you know. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't touch that if I was a Premier League team. And I think any of them will realise what a good what a good thing they've got in the Premier League and wouldn't go near it. Because if you play big games every week, none of them are big games. And why would you want to be in that league if you were Marseille? Or, or Roma, or even Manchester United for that aspect. How, how good is it going to be for Man U or Marseille fans to have a 10% win record or something like that? It's, it's going to be demoralising. And and yes, it, I think the thrill of it will be, maybe it will be good at first, but I think it will take all the joy and heritage out of out of football, won't it? No special ties anymore, if, like you said, if all of them are special. And I, I yeah, where's the like Turin derby gonna be? Um, There'd still be the United derby, obviously. But yeah, I mean Tottenham weren't invited, obviously. Um, where's the North London derby gonna be? It's it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly not with the fans in mind. Uh, boys, do you have any talking points from this week's football? Should Sterling have told the referee that uh, he 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 tripped over the ground, or uh, do you think he was fair? To not say anything because it's not his place to decide on the on the on the impact of the game that his his tumbles take. It's a bit embarrassing though, isn't it? It, it? That was a good opportunity to have like a a nice moment for Sterling where he's a, he's honest to the ref and and so especially since come on they they were gonna beat Shakhtar. I'm, I, I, from what I gather they were they were dominating the game up until that point and mm. that could have been an opportunity to. For a good bit of fair play, as it is, yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. Thing is, it it's a terrible decision from the referee, and I think I messaged in the WhatsApp group saying, "Good God, have you seen Raheem Sterling's dive?" Because I only saw it in slow motion, and then when I watched it back, I realised what he did. Is it his place to tell the referee? Maybe, but does he have to? No. It's another one of those things that does it break the rules of the game by him telling the referee? Not really. It maybe breaks the spirit of him just going up to referee and going, like, I fell over. But mm. if if the referee is making that sort of decision at a European level, he's going to have to get checked because that, that was horrendous. Well, the, the, the other thing as well, I think, is we, don't, we don't know that Sterling didn't say anything to the ref. He may have said something. It's, it doesn't matter if he said anything. The, the ref made his decision up, that's a penalty. That's what it, that's what it has to be. I mean, Well, there's the Robbie Fowler one where... Um, he dived over Seaman. I think, is it Yondal Thomason had for Denmark once? I think they played uh, a team from the Middle East in a friendly. And I think he said he, he, he tripped rather than was fouled and he got a penalty, so he deliberately passed the ball wide of the goal. But, I, I mean, it, <laughs> with the whole sportsmanship thing, I mean, 
who I, uh, I I don't really know. I mean, it, it, he'd be taking a goal away from one of his teammates. The referee gave gave the decision. It's up to the referee to decide whether it's a penalty or not. If anything, if if he tells the referee and the referee corrects it, it's probably worse on the referee. This way, it's just a referee's mistake. Whereas if he lets Raheem correct him, it, it kind of undermines him for the rest of that match. Ryan, what have you got to talk about for this week? Okay, well, um, being the sort of the resident sort of football league, non-league correspondent, as well as the Cardiff correspondent, I um, obviously am very excited about the first round of the FA Cup coming up this weekend. I've earmarked three games. I'm going to slip my neck out now and say that I reckon they're going to provide um, a bit of a giant killing upset. So um, obviously this, just to get the sort of terminology out of the way. This is any team from a league below, at least one league below, preferably two, any team beating, obviously, a team um, above them. I've gone for, earmark this, if you want to get your bet slips at the ready, um, earmark, so I think the game on Friday night, you've got Haringey Borough against AFC Wimbledon. AFC Wimbledon, really not in a good place at the minute. They've lost, believe, or they've not won in seven games. Okay, so they're really not... Not really, do, not really doing very well in League One at the minute. Neil Ardley has got the backing of the sort of from the board, but looks like he's on borrowed time at the minute. Even though he's sort of a fan favourite, so I reckon Haringey could do them in on Friday night. Then we've got uh, Met Police against Newport County, the big game on Saturday, which could be, like I say, another one of those games which is. Um, could be if if Newport maybe rest a couple of players or or maybe they're not particularly at the races. I think that uh, Met Police could uh, have a good day out there. And another one as well, which I think this is my banker. Hang on, Met Met Police, as in the Metropolitan Police Force. Oh yes, as in the Metro, Metropolitan Police. Yep, yep, they have a team and they're in the first round of the cup. They're home to Newport. I did not know that. All right, amazing. Can't imagine there's a strong fan base there. Um, it's just obviously family members and then professional grasses. <laughs> and then the final one, which is I think it is absolutely bang on upset here, is Aldershot v Bradford. Bradford are an absolute terrible time. Lost to Portsmouth at the weekend, which again, no shame in so. But they seem to be an absolute turmoil at the minute with their owners. Aldershot not having the best season in the in the um, National League, but I do think they're going to turn them over. So they're my three sort of. Um, potential upsets on the card and obviously we'll report back next week see how right or wrong I was I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw my hat into the ring with uh, Halifax to beat Morecambe because uh, Halifax from what I hear because I've got a friend from down that way and uh, he says they've got pretty good travelling support up, up that way mate <laughs> listen mate it depends where your outlook is mine's always uh, my outlook's always up my friend so everyone else is down Um <laughs> But no, they've they've got pretty good travelling support, so maybe they can G themselves up. Obviously, you've got local interest this year a week because you've got Maidenhead v Portsmouth, Danny, as well, haven't you? Yes, Maidenhead v Portsmouth at York Road. They've conceded 15 goals in their last two games. I can only see the League One table toppers of Portsmouth absolutely doing one over on on the Magpies, but that will be a very busy Maidenhead Town Centre, no doubt. I think that about wraps us up for this week, doesn't it, boys? I'd say so. He would say so. He, the voice of reason, the Cardiff correspondent and the non-league correspondent has spoken. So that is the end of this mixed bag of European game time podcast. We'll be back next week with probably a nice England special. Hopefully we'll see you then, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. If if I'm about and if you can pay me in required time, then of course. We can't pay you, so you won't be hit. Tom, see you next week. Cheers, mate. Alan. Shake Mansour is innocent. 
And good evening and goodbye from us.